Be seated. We're going to the Gospel of John chapter 4 and verse 24. If you've been here in our Wednesday night prayer meetings, you know that we've been praying for an outpouring of the Holy Ghost. We have many people here that are filled with the Spirit of the Lord, but we have others that need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. That promise is still for us today. Anybody who tells you otherwise is reading the wrong Bible. The Holy Ghost is still available today for the people of the Lord. Amen. John chapter 4 and verse 24. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We're going to be teaching on the Holy Spirit today. Amen. John John chapter 4 and verse 24 is always a great place to start whenever we want to consider the identity of God, understand who he is, especially by paying attention to the statement that God is a spirit. God is a spirit. Now, when we think of the word spirit, we understand that you and I are spiritual creatures. We are not simply material We are flesh and bone and all the bits and pieces that make up these bodies, but there are invisible qualities about who we are as well. The things that are not visible or not tangible, we're talking about our personalities, the way we think, all of that is not made of flesh and bone, but it is the spiritual component of who we are. But when we talk about a spiritual being, we are talking about something that is only spiritual that does not have the physical attributes or the physical components that you and I have today. The scriptures, without getting into it at length, indicates that when it comes to spiritual beings, there are varying kinds of angels and quite possibly varying kinds of evil spirits as well. And uh, these, these beings basically, in a simple sense, fall into two groups of angels and demons. And But these are part of a larger group of what we would call spiritual beings. And although... Both angels and demons can be seen at times. They are usually only temporary manifestations. Generally, they are invisible to the natural eye. And so according to our text in John chapter 4, God is a spirit. He is a spiritual being, which means that he cannot be seen except on those occasions when he chooses to reveal himself. And you look through the scripture, you will see, particularly we're talking about the Old Testament, There were times when God chose to reveal himself in a visible form, but it was usually only temporary. He is an invisible God. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 20, The Lord said to Moses, and he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And in John chapter 1, in the first part of verse 18, it says, No man hath seen God at any time. What is unique about God as a spirit is that he is, the big word we use in Bible school is omnipresent, which means that he is everywhere at once. There is nowhere that you can go and you find, well, I finally found a place where God is not. That place does not exist. Because everything that we see, he made. David wrote to us in the Psalms, in the 139th Psalm, reading from verses 7 to 10, expressing this sentiment, He said, whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost part of the sea, 
Even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. He said, it doesn't matter where I go. You're there. Doesn't matter how far I try to escape, you're there. A few years later, David's son Solomon, as he dedicated the temple, said in 1 Kings 8 and 27, he said, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, the heaven and heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house that I have built it. Solomon acknowledged that although they'd built the fanciest and most expensive church there ever was, God was everywhere. He wasn't confined to one physical location. Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, and if you read John chapter 3 at length, there's a conversation about the need to be born again. And in John chapter 3 and verse 8, Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, The wind bloweth where it listeth, or we would understand that to mean it blows wherever it wants. And you hear the sound thereof, but you cannot tell where it came from or where it's going. He said, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. The Lord was telling Nicodemus, he said, you can't actually see wind. You know, sometimes we we say the wrong thing. We say, hey, did you see the wind today? The answer is the same as every other day. No, I didn't see the wind today. I have never seen the wind before. Nobody's ever seen the wind, but we see and hear the effects of the wind. We see trees moving in the breeze. In the storm, we see trees being stormed torn out of the ground, we see boats being smashed against rocks by a power that in itself is not visible. But the effects of that power are very, very visible. Amen. Jesus said that just like that, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You do not see the Holy Ghost when it fills people, but you hear the sound thereof, and you see the impact and the influence of its power as it begins to bend and shape and mold a life that is surrendered to the power and the Word of God. Amen. Amen. And because we cannot see the Spirit any more than we can see the wind, God chose from time to time to indicate its presence by visible tokens. One of those most famous examples is on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 when it says that tongues of fire rested upon them when they were filled with the Holy Ghost. It was, there was something that God said, I want them to see something is happening. And he chose to do that. We also know that when Jesus was baptized, the scripture says that the Spirit of God descended upon him in a form like a dove. It wasn't a dove, but it was a form like a dove. And there's a question that I'll digress for a moment to ask. It says, was the, the fact that it was in a form like a dove trying to indicate that the Spirit of God was separate from Jesus? The answer to that is no. In John chapter 1, verses 32 to 34, it says, And John bare record, that's John the Baptist, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode, or it settled, it rested upon him. And I knew him not, I wasn't exactly sure, but he that sent me to baptize with water... The same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. When God called John the Baptist into his ministry, he told John, you're going to see the Spirit of God descending upon somebody. That's how you'll know that that's the one. 
that he's the Savior, that he's the Messiah. And so John needed to be able to see the Spirit descending. That's why the Lord allowed there to be a visible demonstration of the Spirit descending. When the Holy Ghost moves in our services, when we worship God, the place doesn't look like a giant aviary. The place is not full of birds because we're not looking for a visible sign. We're looking for something that happens in the Spirit, in the invisible realm. Amen. If, if you're not sure about the baptism of Jesus, very happy to chat about that later. It's interesting that some people say Jesus' baptism because there was a, the visible form of a dove and a voice that we have separate persons of God. But if God did something right now here in Perth and something in Sydney at the same time and something in America and something in Britain and something in any other country you can think of, are they all different forms of God or is that the omnipresent of God working? It doesn't necessarily speak to us about separation. So what do we mean when we speak about the Holy Spirit or the King James usually uses the words Holy Ghost and that's my default language so if I slip back to that, that's what we're talking about. been a lot of opinions and doctrines about the Holy Spirit throughout history but we need to understand what the Scripture has to say. Firstly, when we use the word holy, we're talking about God's nature. We're talking about something that is a part of his identity. We're talking about the fact that he is pure, that he is righteous, that there is no sin in him, that everything about him is perfect and flawless and full of majesty and glory and wonder. So we are describing the nature of God. When we use the word spirit, we're talking about God's substance, of what he is made of. He is a spirit and he is a holy spirit. For example... This morning we've paid tribute to Brother Frost. If I describe Brother Frost as a good man, good speaks about his character. Man describes his substance. That's what it is. And so when we talk about a Holy Spirit, we're simply saying that God is a Holy Spirit. He's not just some random spirit, but he is a spiritual being that is holy. Amen. The next question we need to answer is, is there another spirit? How many spirits does God have? Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, giving them instruction about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 11 through to 13. Speaking of the gifts of the Spirit, he said, But all these work that one and selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. Or God gives the gifts of Spirit to people as he thinks is best. Verse 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit, we are all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have all been made to drink into one Spirit. Notice an emphasis there? There's one Spirit. One Spirit. The same apostle wrote to the Ephesians in chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, and verses 4 through to 6, and again you'll see that emphasis, there is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope. I've only got one hope this morning, and his name is Jesus. Amen. One hope of your calling. Verse 5 says, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. So there is only one spirit, and God is a Holy Spirit. So when we use the word Holy Spirit, we are simply talking about the Spirit of God or God Himself. Let's look at another scripture just to confirm this so that you don't think I'm making it up. 
Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. And Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Now, did he lie to the Holy Ghost or did he lie to God? Same thing. The Holy Ghost and God, same spirit. Amen. The two are interchangeable. We see the same idea in 1 Corinthians. And I can give everybody these scriptures that want them afterwards. 1 Corinthians 3 and 16. Paul said, Know you not that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you. Three chapters later in chapter 6 and verse 19, the same writer said, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? How many spirits have we received? How many temples are you? Are you a duplex or a block of flats? One spirit. Spirit of God and the Holy Spirit are interchangeable in the Scripture. There's only one. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. It's God Himself. Amen. So then the next question is, why does the Scripture use this terminology? Why doesn't it just consistently say the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God? Anytime that you read Scripture that is speaking about God, and it seems as though there is a distinction that suggests more than one one person, we need to read that distinction as speaking about function, relationship, or operation, not separate persons. We need to understand that there are different things that are going on. Now, I'm not going to pull Sister Jolene up here and embarrass her this morning, but Sister Jolene is just recently coming to the close of finishing her nursing degree. Now, at some point in probably the next couple of weeks, Sister Jolene is going to stand up here on a Sunday morning and lead us in worship. She will be a worship leader. She will lead us in worship. Somebody at some point is going to have the privilege of Sister Jolene giving her an injection. She's going to be a nurse. To her little brother and sister, she is the older sister. She's the one that looks after them when mum and dad aren't there. There are three different functions, three different operations, three different relationships. But there's only one Jolena. So when we read the scripture and we see, well, hang on a sec, it sounds like there's one here and one there. Always remember it's talking about function, relationship and operation. And so when the scripture uses the terms Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost, it is exactly that. It is a description of God in operation and in action with humanity. Amen. If you have a Bible app on one of your electronic devices or a program at home on your computer, or if you're old school and you've still got a 10 kilogram strong concordance, which some of you have and that's okay as long as you don't strain a muscle, If you will go and search for the words Holy Ghost together in the New Testament and see when that appears and look at the context, you will see that many, many times it is referring to the Spirit of God working in and through mankind. It's not speaking about something that is inactive or or it's usually always in operation. Some examples of that. This is not an exhaustive list for the sake of time. But Mary was with child by the Holy Ghost. Believers were told they would be baptized with the Holy Ghost. We are said that we would be filled with the Holy Ghost. The New Testament tells us that there are things that are revealed by the Holy Ghost. 
The comforter is obviously we are comforted by the Holy Ghost. The scripture says that the Holy Ghost shall teach you. We shall receive power when it comes upon us. Amen. The Holy Ghost is a witness. There will be a witness of things that God endorses. They spoke in the New Testament by the Holy Ghost. They were sent forth by the Holy Ghost. They were forbidden from going somewhere by the Holy Ghost. The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And I haven't memorized the whole list, so we're going to come back. But we are sanctified or set apart. We belong to God by the Holy Ghost. We pray in the Holy Ghost. We are sealed with the Holy Ghost. And so what every example there is the Spirit of God doing something, interacting with humanity. He's, he's working in us and through us and among us and around us. And that's how we understand that terminology. The Holy Ghost is simply God Himself moving on, in, and through people. It is not a second spirit. It is not another part of God, but it is God in activity. If you want to get grammatical, we could say God is the noun and the Holy Ghost is the verb. It is God in action. Amen. Amen. When we grasp that there is only one Spirit of God, it should amaze us all the more that God wants to fill us with that Spirit. That He wants to put that inside every single one of us. It's not just a part of God. It's not just a a portion or a piece or a segment. It is the Spirit of God that He wants to fill us with. And I don't know if you realize it this morning or not, but you were designed to be filled with the Holy Ghost. You were designed by God to be filled with His Spirit. When He made man, that was man's primary purpose. I don't have the Scripture on my slides, but I believe it's in Revelation where it says that all things, by Him all things were created. We were created for His pleasure. We were created to be vessels that He would fill. That's what your designed purpose is. You know, when you you see somebody using something that's not for its intended purpose, the wrong tool for the wrong job, you think that's not going to go well because it's not what it was made for. And that's why humanity's a mess because humanity's doing things that it wasn't made to do. But we were created to be vessels of the Spirit of God. And with that in mind, we go back to Genesis. In the book of Genesis, in the very beginning, we read that the Spirit of God was there. It wasn't a whole... There's, there, there are statements made in the book of Genesis and Brother Frost loves to to dig into these things and he can unpack it better than I can for sure. But there are statements made that include so much and yet we are not able to get all the little details. It talks about the earth being in darkness without form and void and the Spirit of God moving. And understanding all of what that picture is telling us is hard. But as God began to speak, as God began to express himself, things came into existence. In that dark, void condition, God said, let there be light. You know when you've been in a dark room and somebody walks in and flicks the light on and it takes you a little while to adjust to what's going on? Imagine that at the level of creation. It's complete darkness and, and God comes in and, as it were, flicks the switch and instantly there's light. Amen. He spoke and we created the atmosphere, the firmament. He separated land from water. 
he spoke and grass and plants and trees came into existence and lights in the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars and the sea creatures and the, the birds and the animals. All these things were God speaking, expressing himself and his, with his creative power. Living things that did not exist came into existence. That's the power of God. But when he reached the end of creation, the last thing on his list, if I can put it that way, he finished creation with something that was designed to have dominion over creation. A creature that would be his own image. Something special. In Genesis chapter 2, it gives us a glimpse that there is a change in the creation process between birds and bees and rats and cats and elephants and mankind. There is a change because in Genesis 2 and 7, it says the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. The dirt, the dust of the ground that just a few days before had been separated from the water. God begins to form it. The word is formed in English. And when you look at the original Hebrew word that formed is translated from, you find that in the Old Testament it is also translated to do with the potter and clay. As a fashioning, I don't think God was in his workshop rolling out little mud men on his desk. But he began by his power to form men out of something he'd already created. And then it says that he breathed into that man. He makes that clay vessel. And then he breathes into that man the breath of life and man becomes a living soul. There is something that is different and unique about this to every other living thing that he'd made before that. And he spoke and we get dogs and elephants and horses and sheep and goats and all those things. But now we're told about a soul that comes alive. This is not some form of CPR. It's not first aid, it's not mouth-to-mouth resuscitation because God is a spirit. There are no lungs to exhale from. There is no mouth to breathe out of in the physical. So what we need to understand is that when God formed man from the dust of the ground, he was imparting himself into Adam. When it says that he breathed into Adam, the spirit that he was breathed into Adam. And Adam became not just a living soul, but he became not just a living creature, but a living soul. God imparted himself into humanity. It was more than just the activating of a pulse or eyes flickering open or blood beginning to pump through his veins and arteries. It was spiritual life. Adam became body, soul, and spirit in perfect harmony with God. But then just a few verses later in the same chapter, Genesis 2, 16 and 17, Lord God commanded the man saying of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you can't eat that one. And the day that you eat of that tree, you'll surely die. And when Adam and Eve sinned, The word there is day. It says, in the day that you eat thereof, you'll surely die. Whether you understand that to mean 24 hours or whatever, it's a period of time. The Lord said, in that period of time, whatever it was, if you eat that fruit, death is going to happen. When Adam and Eve sinned, death entered into their physical bodies. Aging began to take place. They never aged before that. They never had one of those days where they looked in the mirror and thought, man, you look rough today. Every day they were perfect. 
But aging entered into humanity. Illness, ailments, aches and pains. Adam had never had a bad back before, but I promise you working the ground now that it had weeds and rocks and all the hard stuff, he probably came home one day and he said, what the wrong, what's wrong with you? He said, I got this pain in my back. He never had a bad back before sin came into humanity. But most importantly, and I think more devastatingly, the spirit that had been breathed into them was withdrawn. Sin brought a separation between man and God. And God withdrew because he would not share that space with sin. And so for thousands of years since, clay vessels, just like you and me, Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a mud ball. Say it nicely, please. For thousands of years, every single one of us that has been born has been born lacking what we were designed to be filled with, with that emptiness inside of us. Every child that's ever been conceived and brought into this world has been born without that which we were designed to carry because of sin. Amen. Amen. And then a man some 2,000 years ago by the name of John the Baptist, wild-looking man, certainly wasn't polished, didn't have a nice suit, didn't have a TV show, came walking out of the desert heat and began to preach a message of repentance. And you must repent. You've got to turn from sin. You've got to turn away from the things that don't please God. And he he preached a baptism of repentance because God had sent him to prepare the way for the one who would refill the vessels with their original design purpose. Amen. It didn't happen automatically. There was preparation that was involved. There were some bigger problems as well, including things like, what do we do about sin? Jesus spoke about the Holy Ghost in John 7, and many of you could quote these verses. John 7, 37 to 39, he said, In the last day, That great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me. We talked about faith before. He that believeth on me. As the scripture says, if you haven't got faith, you can't please God. Why does it matter? Because you need faith to believe in something your brain cannot interpret or explain. We don't need a God that we can explain completely. Because he's not God if we can explain everything. But there are some things I cannot explain, but because he said it, I'll believe it. He that believeth on me, Jesus said, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Now, if you you go back a few chapters in your own time to John 4, he spoke to the woman at the well about a pretty unique kind of water that if you drink that, you'll never thirst again. He's talking about the same thing here. Verse 39, but this, just to clarify, spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Calvary was still in the future. The payment for sin's penalty hadn't taken place yet. And so Jesus was speaking about something that was coming in the future. It was not yet available. But Jesus knew that the reason he had come was so that people could be saved, so that humanity could be restored to its original design purpose. And after his resurrection, after he'd paid the penalty for mankind, 
defeated death and took the power of death, hell, and the grave. He knew that that promise was about to come. And in the end of John chapter 20, verse 22, he says, when he said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, receive ye the Holy Ghost. This time there were lungs. There was a mouth that could actually breathe. But Jesus was drawing a direct connection back to the book of Genesis. Back to what God did with Adam in the very beginning. He breathed, it was symbolic. He was symbolically saying, you're going to receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. Because it was the spirit that breathed into Adam was the same spirit that was God manifest in the flesh in Jesus Christ. Amen. We were designed, let me reiterate this this morning, we were designed to be vessels filled with the Holy Ghost. Without it, we are, if I cannot be offensive, we are nothing more than empty clay pots. But when we're filled with it, Paul said to the Corinthians, this excellency of the power is of God. It's not of us. We have this treasure. We've got this incredibly valuable thing inside earthen vessels. Why? So that he would get the glory. So that people won't look at us and say, man, they're amazing. But that people would look at us and say, look at what God has done for them. Look at what God has done through them and in them and by them. Hallelujah. You were designed, if I can, I'm going to say that multiple times. God made you to be filled with his spirit. And if you've never been filled with his spirit, there's an opportunity for you to be filled with the Holy Ghost. So... Possibly the most important question we can ask. Do we need the Holy Ghost? Do I need the Holy Ghost? Do you need the Holy Ghost? The answer is absolutely yes, we do. John chapter 3 and verse 5, in that same conversation that Jesus had with Nicodemus, he said, verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He didn't suggest that it would be more difficult or it would take longer or he'd have to find another pathway. He said, if you don't have it, you can't come in. That's confronting to us. And that's okay to be confronted by the Word of God. But it's not designed to confront us, to cause us to be discouraged or to quit. It's designed to cause us to want to be filled with the Spirit of God. Romans 8 and 9, the Apostle Paul said, but you are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if so be, that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. One modern translation says it even more bluntly. It says, you don't belong to him. That's what it says. So do we need the Holy Ghost? Yes, 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 yes. We need to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen. How do I know that I have received the Holy Ghost? And some of this we've, many of us have known for a long time. How do we know that we've been filled with the Spirit of God? The book of Acts, which is the only book in the Scripture where you read accounts of people actually being filled with the Holy Ghost. The consistent evidence in the book of Acts when people were filled with the Holy Ghost was that they spoke in tongues. They spoke in a language that they had never learned they hadn't studied, they hadn't read, it wasn't a part of their natural heritage, but it was a supernatural experience that happened as the Spirit of God flowed through them. It was a sign from God. The wind blows where it wants to. 
You can't see it, but you hear the sound thereof. Even so are those that are born of the Spirit. When people, I've seen many, many, many people receive the Holy Ghost. I've never physically seen it enter anybody. They don't change colors. There's there's not a different, you know, it's like, oh yeah, you can just tell, you know, but you hear the sound thereof. Amen. Amen. It's, It's like the wind. It's powerful. It can change things. It can turn the world upside down. But you don't see it. You hear it and you see its effects. So how do I receive the Holy Ghost? Again, we must have faith. We must believe. We must believe that if God said that He would pour out His Spirit, that He meant what He said. We must believe that if His Bible says the promise is to you and to your children, to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call, that that's what it means. That it is a gift, that we do not earn it. You can never be good enough to be filled with the Holy Ghost. If you live to be 200 years old, you will never be good enough to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It is a gift that God pours out upon us. Amen. It begins with faith and then it moves into repentance. We must recognize that we are sinners. We must acknowledge that Jesus died for our sin and that because of our sins is why he died. And there must be a genuine regret for those sins and a turning away from those sins. A genuine regret will always produce a turning away. An empty regret or a falsely demonstrated regret will see the pattern repeated. But a genuine regret for sin, we will turn away from sin. That's, that's why John the Baptist was sent. God could have sent John the Baptist to say anything, but he sent him with a message of repentance. It was the preparation. It was the pathway. He said that his message, his calling was to make his paths straight. Get things out of the way. Let's repent. Let's make things right so that when he comes, he can pour out the spirit of God. Amen. And you read in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Ghost was first poured out and Peter began to preach. He began to tell them about Jesus who was crucified and why he was crucified and how it was people's sins that put him on that cross. And when they heard that, the Bible says, they were pricked in their hearts. They felt that conviction. They felt that awareness. I am a sinner. I am the reason he went to the cross. I am the reason or at least one of the billions of reasons why he was crucified. That was the beginning of repentance, that awareness that he died for their sins. You read on in the book of Acts, and I've just picked a couple of examples. But in Acts chapter 10, we read a story of how the apostle Peter is miraculously directed by the Lord to go to a Roman soldier's home. And somebody that he would socially never have anything to do with they were very socially excluded from one another but God stepped in miraculously and told Peter to go there and not to doubt anything and when he got there they said hey an angel appeared to me he told me to send for you that you'd come and you'd tell us what's going on Peter began to preach to them and he began to tell them about how Jesus died on Calvary and how he was buried and how he rose again and that through his name sins could be forgiven. And when he began to speak about that, something happened in their hearts. How do we know that? Because while he was still preaching, the Holy Ghost fell on those that Peter was speaking to and they began to speak with other tongues as he spoke about the cross. It caused them to respond to the Spirit. And it's exactly the same for us today. We must begin at Calvary. 
If we are going to be filled with the Spirit, it begins with death. It begins with me saying my old life has got to die because he died for me. And when we can genuinely repent, you know, it doesn't take hours. Some people think that repentance, you know, you got to weep for days to demonstrate sincerity. God is the one, the Bible says, that reads our hearts. When you are sincere before God, He knows in a moment. I'm not saying that repentance should be treated lightly either. I'm not saying it's just a five-second thing. But as we begin to repent to God, it is the faith and sincerity that makes it effective. That's what makes it work. Thank you, Jesus. Something happened in Cornelius' heart. You've got to remember, this Roman, he hadn't grown up about Moses and all the rest of it. He wasn't raised a Jew. His knowledge of anything to do with the one true God was patchy at best. He was late to the party. He didn't have that heritage. He didn't grow up in a house every day saying, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But there was a hunger in this Roman's heart. And if there's one thing I'm seeing more and more in these last days is people that don't seem to have any connection, God is finding a way to reach to them. He's finding a way to reach to them, to bring them across our paths that they might know the word of God and its truth. It begins with repentance from a sincere heart. And it begins with thirst as well. Jesus said, if any man thirst that lets us know that there would be those that would not there would be some that want it some that don't seem to care and if there's a thirst he said if any man thirst that's the condition if you're thirsty i'll fill you with living water that's what he said do we want it if any man thirst coming back to faith when you're filled with the hope you ask in faith you don't beg god and it comes, oh God, I'm a miserable, miserable worm. You don't beg God. You, when we repent of our sins, we have faith in His Word. And we believe that He wants. You've got to understand something this morning. If you've never been filled with the Holy Ghost, God wants to give it to you more than you want to receive it. I don't care how much you want to receive it. He wants you to have it more than you want it. Because it's His promise. We need to have expectation. You come to the if you if you pray thinking yeah nothing's going to happen here you're right <laughs> nothing will happen there but if we come saying God this is what your word says your word is true your promises are still accurate they haven't changed I believe your word is true I believe that you want to fill me with the Holy Ghost Cass if you could come to the piano please so we need to have genuine repentance with faith. We need to believe what God said. We need to ask Him with faith. We need to worship God. We need to worship God. Nobody gets the Holy Ghost with their mouth shut. Now people come to pray, and I'm not making fun of any people who are learning along the way, but we, sometimes when we're not sure what's going, we stand here and we just lock our mouth shut. And God is, you know, and you pray for people, you say, oh, you know, let's pray together. You see, you've got to pray. We pray with people to receive the Holy Ghost, but the Lord doesn't hand it to me to pass to you. <laughs> he gives it directly. And so we have to open our mouths. So many examples in the scripture of people who wanted to get something from Jesus, who would not be silenced. Behind Bartimaeus, the Bible tells us, 
Jesus, the son of David, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And they said, be quiet. You're making too much noise. You're just a beggar. And the scripture says, if I've got the story right, he cried out, the more. He raised the volume. He raised his intensity. The woman with the alabaster box crossed all manner of social thresholds into an environment where she was despised, looked down upon and not welcome. But there was something in her said, I want to worship him. She broke that alabaster box over his feet and began to worship him. On and on we could talk about the lepers that cried out to him. We could talk about the woman with the issue of blood. We could talk about the man at the pool of Bethesda who said, I've got no man to take me into the water. All example after example of somebody that just said, Jesus! That's what it takes. That's what it takes. Well, I don't understand. I can't work it out. That's okay. <laughs> Neither can I. <laughs> I don't have to work it out. It's just, we talked about the faith of a little child. You know, when your kids, we talked about this recently, when your kids ask you for something, they're not thinking about whether you've got the money or you've got the time to go get it or whether or not it's appropriate. They just ask. They just expect you to be able to provide. And if we approach him with that same mindset that he is our heavenly father and just say, God, I know you can Please fill me with the Holy Ghost and worship Him. And people get, people get all hung up and bent out of shape on speaking in tongues. Well, you know, I've never spoken in tongues and I don't know how to do that. Let me help somebody this morning. Don't worry about speaking in tongues. Focus on worshiping God and praising God and asking Him to fill you with the Holy Ghost. He'll take care of all the other stuff. I was talking to somebody just during the week about how you know, they just received the Holy Ghost in the last week or so and didn't even realize, just praying and worshiping God, didn't even realize, hang on a sec, I'm speaking in other tongues. Didn't even, that, that's kind of how easy it should be. That's how easy it should be. We make it so big in our heads and, well, you know, I don't understand this and it hasn't happened to me, so maybe it's not for me, it's only for some people. The book says it's for everybody. Let's stand together this morning.